0: Welcome to another episode of the Live to Accomplish podcast with Nathan Shooter. To discover more insightful episodes, blogs, videos, and resources, visit nathanshooter.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Live to Accomplish podcast. My name's Nathan, and on every video and blog and podcast edition that I do, the whole idea is to find simple ways that you and I can create significant outcomes. And today's episode is centered around the idea of making money simple. And I'm really excited to deep dive with you into a book that I really am a big fan of. So before we do that, I wanna let you know that there's other subjects you can find out more about over at nathanshooter.com. And you'll find videos and blogs and podcasts as well on a whole variety of topics. And when it comes to money, we need to evaluate our performance And something that's going to help you do that is our self-evaluation tool. So go ahead, download the PDF for free and really get stuck into how you've performed in the past and then how you can set yourself up to win. And that just means, you know, you can be better at doing things like spending time with family, do better at work, do better financially. So today is a, a logical progression on some of the topics we've been looking at. So we're going to deep dive together and look at the top seven things that I learned from The Richest Man in Babylon. So this book is written by a gentleman called George Classen. and this book was written in the early 1900s and it's a fantastic book because it helps us to really understand more simply and more narratively some really key lessons about finance. So he sets it out in a a series of parables and he writes about it as if he's a character discovering more and more about how to make money or how to look after it and how make it grow. And so from the seven different sections of the book, I've extracted some of the things that I've learned. And I really hope that you um, are able to, I guess, learn something as well and that some of these things resonate with you. So over at NathanTutor.com forward slash blog forward slash 19, you'll see the blog version of this as well as a quick video. Okay, so let's jump in. And if you've already read the book, this will be a great way to refresh your knowledge. And if you've never even heard of the book, make sure that you go out and add it on your to-do list as something to go and buy. All right, so let's leap into it. What was the very first thing that I learned? Well, the first thing was, number one, you get paid first. Now, this sounds like a, a pretty simple and straightforward concept, but it's something that you and I sometimes forget to do. So, in, um, in his book, he starts by saying, thy purse to fattening. And so, what he's saying by this is, it's a law of first things first. And he's saying, let's allocate 10% of what we earn each week to pay ourselves. And sure, some of us might live week to week. And, you know, that's a reality that we do all face at some point in our lives. So, what he's saying is, okay, let's look at the 100% um a breakdown of our income and how can we do better at allocating where the money goes. So what he's saying is if you can imagine this on a sheet of paper, allocate 10% to paying yourself first. So that can go to whatever purpose you might earmark it for, but the idea is that you set it out as first things first. Then the second 10% he's saying, go and pay your some of the debts that have kind of accrued. Or maybe just kind of look at some of the most expensive debt and some of the most high interest debt. He's saying take the next 10% and pay off that debt with it. Then a third 10%, he's saying, let's allocate that to future savings. What do you wanna do in the future? What have you dreamt about? Are you saving perhaps toward a house deposit or an awesome holiday with the family or something that you wanna do as a new business or project? It's gonna involve money. And so he's saying, hey, let's allocate 10% to future savings. So now we come to the fourth 10%. Now, this is something that you might optionally do, and for myself, I do it, and it's about generosity and charity. So he's saying, let's maybe consider giving 10% to, say, a charity or a local organization or church tithe if you do that, which is what I do, and then you'll find that there'll always be leftovers as a result of thinking about how you can involve generosity into your weekly weekly expenses. So regardless of whether you do that um, optional 10%, you're left with say 60 to 70% to live on. So for a lot of us, it's a bit of a daunting thought that um, we can do a, a 10% breakdown times four then plus whatever is left. And so what we need to do is get into the mindset of you know, paying ourselves for it first, thinking about our future, thinking about debt, thinking about generosity, and then finding a way to be able to live off what remains. And that can be a bit of a, a bit of a full-on idea. But if we try that, I guarantee that within a couple of weeks, you'll see the benefits. So go and give it a go. See what you think. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback on that. So you can find uh, the breakdown of those percentages over at the, at the podcast, uh, sorry, at the blog. So give it a go. See what you think. Okay, so now number two. Here's the second thing that I learned from this book. Live within your means. Now, the ideas in this book by no means are hugely innovative or brand new to to any of us. Anyone who's been around a while knows that all of these things are pretty straightforward. But the thing is, I got to thinking, why would an author (laughs) sell so many millions of books if this wasn't brand new wisdom? And the fact is, remains that we need to be reminded of simple things like living within our means. So he phrases it like this, control thy expenditures. So we need to be able to get into a gear of, yep, earning and and spending on, on fun and cool things, but not at the expense of living outside the boundaries of what we earn. And one of the biggest things that we can do is to learn how to separate what we consider a desire away from an expense. Now, this probably is more pertinent to people like me. Um, who are self-employed and maybe you work for someone else and this kind of works for you in a different way. So for myself, how do I um, be clear on what's a desire and what's an actual true expense? So around me here, I've got a lot of, you know, cool gear and (laughs) all that kind of fun stuff. But I have to make sure that when I buy stuff that I'm thinking, hey, is this a desire or a legitimate expense? So maybe have a bit of a think and make some time to self-analyse. If you're a person who's a wage earner, this absolutely applies. So let's just say you've got a family and um, you really want to buy a particular thing. Have a think and talk to your spouse about it and say, hey, is this a genuine need, like an expense, or is it a desire that perhaps we can wait and pay for later or maybe don't even need to begin with? So on this um, section as well, here's another thing to consider and it's this, say if you get a pay rise, um, you know, that's awesome if you do, but the thing is, sometimes what can happen is our expenses can go up at the same rate as our pay rise does. So hurrah to you if you get a pay rise, that's amazing, but it's even better for you is if you try and keep the plateau of your expenses remaining the same because I know that I've seen some of my my friends who've experienced amazing pay increases experience splurging. And that's fun for a while, but it's not a sustainable way to live. So, if you're gonna earn more, awesome, but it's even better to do that while keeping your expenses more consistent. And now we arrive at number three, which is make money work for you. And as the author would phrase it, he says, make thy gold multiply. And just like us, money will reproduce after its own kind. So he's saying, you know, we can all start somewhere. We can all start somewhere small. So if we listen to his advice and put say 10% into a high interest online savings account, then we're gonna be able to see the result or the fruit of that compound interest working for us over the long term. So that's something that I did when I was saving for my first house. I spent many years just putting, chipping away just a small amount into that high interest account every week and then over time I could see the, the interest go up and that gave me even more motivation to be consistent and also perhaps put more into it. So you can consider some safe ways of, of doing that for yourself. Do some research, consider maybe like some term deposits or whatever it is that you want to do. Um, by no means, just so you know, I'm not giving you financial advice. I'm just saying, hey, this is what uh, I've done in the past. So when you experience the the reward of compound interest, you probably get hungry for other ways for money to reproduce itself. And investments are where you can begin. So again, what I would say is to never invest in something you don't fully understand. So I really wanted to find out more about what would suit me. So I set up some mock accounts or some pretend accounts with some pretend (laughs) balances in there that the companies give you to try and um, learn. So my first experience was with Forex or foreign exchange. So, and what that is is where you trade um, the foreign currencies against each other. And it was really interesting, you know, I was really glad that I set up that account and made trades and learned and, you know, listened to people who were coaching in this field, but then I realized, you know, it's just not a fit for me. You know, I was glad that I tried, but the whole point here is to really understand and comprehend and then go ahead and invest. So then I thought, no, that's not for me. So maybe I'll try shares. So I went ahead and I did some research and, you know, spent a bit of time talking to people. And then I went ahead and bought some shares. And then what do you know, they pretty much halved about six months later. But you know, that's how it works. And then that really taught me to take a long-term view of shares and to read more, you know, to digest more, to watch more videos. So be hungry, not just for the money, but be hungry for the knowledge and the, the understanding and the comprehension of what it is that you're investing into. So before you even do all um, those kind of things, I would say as part of making money work for you and investing is to prepare yourself to invest and that is by building up a set of savings of at least six to eight months worth as an emergency fund. And this is a great way to create a bit of a safeguard and a bit of a, an, in, an insurance um, into, your, into your money protection so you can be more confident in how you invest. And that brings a logical connection to number four, which is safeguard your wealth. And he, he puts it like this, guard thy treasures from loss. So there's a couple of really practical ways we can do this. Obviously, you have to have insurances, say for example, um, mortgage protection or income protection. And there's a whole bunch of different things that you can, you can do to insure to, you know, your wealth. But there's another thing you can do, and that is having cash reserves. So we mentioned previously in point number three about having it, you know, six to eight months worth of of funds, you know, at call, like you've built up over time. And I know for me, you know, I've not always been in a position to, to have that. And, um, you know, I have to be aware of my own cash flow for the business, but it's good to know that there is a little bit of a buffer. You know, maybe it's not always there, but sometimes um, when it is, it's a real comfort mentally. So the other way you can safeguard your wealth is to avoid investments that sound too good to be true. So there's, I've, there's some friends of mine who have invested in things which have promised an amazing result. And you know, there's a, a really amazing, legitimate um, you know return on some good investments, but you've gotta be really careful. And if it sounds good to, too good to be true, chances are it probably is. So just on this uh, point four of safeguarding your wealth, I just wanna outline this. It's, it costs you nothing to ask a good friend for counsel, it asks it costs you nothing to talk to someone who has you know some some really you know good solid real world experience. Maybe it's your dad or maybe it's your mom or auntie or uncle or somebody that who is I guess in a sense kind of mastered it mastered the thing that you want to go and pursue. So go and check it out. All right, now let's move on to point number five, and that is make your biggest expense a profitable investment. This is a bit of a tricky one and maybe not always possible for all of us. Um, He phrases it like this is make of thy dwelling a profitable investment. So we live in in an era where it's, you know, pretty damn expensive to own a home or to get into your first home. And there's plenty of incentives about, you know, trying to encourage people to get into the housing market or build or to buy their first home. So what the author here is saying is saying, regardless of what it is, make your biggest expense, where possible, a profitable investment. So for myself, I was really keen to be able to do that and to make sure that at least for myself, I was setting up a little bit of a uh, real estate portfolio. Sure, I haven't got there yet, but at least I've made a start. So have a think, you might even have to consider, dare I say it, moving from your suburb so you can even get into the real estate market. Or if you want to just rent and not necessarily buy a home and be tied to a mortgage, that can be a strategy as well. So the point is there to have a conversation, you know, go and check out some good advice and find out what works for you. We're on the home stretch here and we've come to number six, which is have a retirement plan. Or he writes it like this, ensure a future income. So, undeniably, all of us are getting older. All of us have even aged just even from this morning. And so, all of us at some point too are going to actually stop working. And as much as we love to work and we enjoy it, it's going to one day come to an end. So, we need to plan for that. We need to, yes, enjoy the here and now and the today, but we've got to be smart and be thinking about our tomorrow and the days after those tomorrows. And that means we've got to have a retirement plan. So, what have you got? What have you got in terms of a strategy or a plan or some kind of intention around your financial security for when you no longer work? So people talk about their superannuation or they talk about, you know, an investment portfolio, whether that be houses or something else. So either way, the point here the author is saying is create a plan. And particularly, it's more important for those of us who have financial dependence, people who rely on us. So we need to make sure that we have a safe investment and diversify how we do that. And um, we also need to be aware of the economic environment that we're in. So I know for myself as a Gen Y or a Millennial, however you want to um, say it, I know that when I get older, the superannuation is probably not going to be very generous or very reliable when I'm in need of it. And so that's why from, for my future, I'm kind of thinking about what are some more creative and innovative ways that I can create a financial um, security, financial security for my future. So maybe have a sit down and have a bit of a think. What am I doing to secure my tomorrow financially? Thanks for sticking with me. We're now at the very last one, which is invest in ourselves. And he says, increase thy ability to earn. Now, this would have to be my most favorite out of all the lessons that I've learned from the richest man in Babylon, from the series of parables. And I like it because I'm a striver. I love to become more knowledgeable and to become wiser and to learn more about whatever it is that I want to pursue. And so for my career being a um, creative strategist or a creative professional, however you want to say it. That means going to seminars, listening to podcasts, buying books and going on webinars, everything I can and being hungry to become a master of what I do. And we live in a very exciting time. We're in an innovation and information age. So it's super easier and more accessible than ever for you to do the same. So it doesn't matter what kind of career you have, you can become a master of it. And if you have a thirst for knowledge, which is the knowledge is at your fingertips on the internet, you're gonna be able to leverage that learning to earn. And everybody loves to earn. I know I do. And so, over the last 12 months, I've been very keenly um, aware of my inability to be able to give and give more generously than I would like to. And so, I had to think about this. And if I don't learn... I can't earn. If I don't earn, I can't get. If I can't get, I can't give. And so if I wanna be able to give more generously and be less tied to the bank balance in terms of making a decision to give to a charity or to a great cause, I need to learn and I need to learn how to leverage what I know to earn so I can get, so I can give. So I really do hope that um, there is something that drives you, that there's a reason or a purpose or a mission locked up within your heart that motivates you to learn. That doesn't have to be related necessarily to what you do as a job. It can be something totally different and random. But let it fuel your desire to learn so you can earn, so you can get. And then from that position of getting, you can give and you can give more freely. So there we have it. Those are the top seven lessons that I learned from the book, The Richest Man in Babylon. So let's do a quick recap. Number one was you pay yourself first. Number two was live within your means. Three, make money work for you. Number four, safeguard your wealth. Number five, make your biggest expense a profitable investment. Number six, have a retirement plan. And number seven, invest in yourself. And hey, if you've been listening to this and you're thinking, man, I'm way past the point where I can start implementing any kind of financial strategies, I'm gonna say no, it's not true. It doesn't matter how old you are, you can still make a start. So be encouraged, have hope. Go and set out a, a new charter for yourself to understand and increase your financial literacy one day at a time so go ahead go and buy the book check it out for yourself and go through it with your your family or for those who you are accountable to financially and grow and while you're in your self-improvement mode head over to nathanshooter.com and discover some of the other content there that'll really serve you in finding simple ways that you can create a significant change in your life so have an amazing week and I'll catch you on the next episode Thanks for joining us today. To connect with Nathan, simply visit facebook.com forward slash NathanShooter blog or Twitter and Instagram using at NathanShooter. We also invite you to comment, ask questions, and subscribe to the email editions at NathanShooter.com.